1 Corinthians 15. Y'all turn to 1 Corinthians 15. So there were these three guys that were sitting around talking. Old friends, they usually got together for coffee. But today, on this day, the conversation became a little more profound than usual. They started talking about, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Not the preacher, but the people who walk by your casket and they stare down at that, at that corpse, in the, that, that body in the casket. What do you hope they say at that moment? And one guy said, well, I hope they say, this man really knew how to live. I learned a lot from him. And second guy said, well, I hope they say, I could always count on him. He was always there for me. He never let me down. And the third guy said, no, not me. I hope they look down and they say, hey, look, he's moving. <laughs> and I'm with that third guy. But Scripture and medical science tell me there is a 100% chance that I will face death someday. Unless Christ returns first, I am going to have my moment of death, whether it's this week or 40 or 50 years from now or whatever God decides sometime in between. But the, the good news that we've been talking about in the Scriptures is twofold. The good news is, number one, because I know Christ is my Savior, the moment I die, I will be with Him immediately. That's what we talked about last week. What happens when we die? To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord. That is good news. That's not the best news. The really good, good news is what happens after that, that. That someday, as we sang about in all those songs this morning, our bodies will rise and we're not going to be spirits floating in the ether and we're certainly not going to be angels. We're going to be physical bodies walking in a renewed, redeemed earth. And that is very good news. And I know, I know every time I teach this, whether it's in a small group or a large group setting, I know that people have a problem with it. And I'm talking about people who have studied the Bible all, their whole lives, been in church their whole lives. And nobody in this church has come up to me yet, but I, I know some of you are feeling this way because every other time I've taught this, somebody's come up to me and said, I just don't know about that, Jeff. I don't, that's not what I was taught. How, how come I haven't seen this before? And all I can say is, just, just study the Scriptures. Just study the Scriptures. I think a lot of pastors are, are afraid to preach on heaven because they don't want to be wrong. Let me tell you something. I am not afraid of being wrong, number one, because I'm trying to stick with the Scriptures. Number two, if I, say, if I make any promises on behalf of God, believe me, if I'm wrong about them, He's going to outstrip what I promised. So I'm not worried about that. Study the Scriptures. And look at how... If you're talking about Jesus, if you're talking about Peter and Paul, you're talking about the author of Hebrews, you're talking about Daniel, Isaiah, David in the Psalms, everybody who talks about heaven in the Scriptures talks about resurrection. They talk about a renewed earth. They talk about a physical existence. And that's good news. So, if that's true, and if you need those Scriptures, go back and listen to the first sermon or email me and I'll send it to you. But if that's true... And what kind of bodies are we going to have? I mean, aren't you concerned about that, right? What kind of body am I going to have in the next life? Because I don't know about you, but I think it'd be really cool to be like six foot five and have arms like tree trunks, right? You know, I, I think it'd be good to, to be a different kind of guy in the next life, the body I would have designed for myself down here. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you're like, what all I really hope is, I hope I get to eat bluebell and chicken fried steak with extra gravy and never gain weight. But beyond all that, what matters more is you say, well, what are our bodies going to be like in that world? I mean, are we going to come out and, and, and experience the same thing again where we once again get sick, once again get injured, once again, once again age, watch our loved ones die and ourselves die again? Is it just going to be this endless cycle? 
sort of like Hinduism talks about? Is that what we're looking at? So we're going to talk about today what the Bible says about our new bodies. And I think this is going to be of great interest to a lot of us. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter in the Bible. If you had to pick one chapter out of the whole Bible uh, to talk about the life to come, it's this one. And let me tell you why the book of 1 Corinthians was written. 1 Corinthians was written to a church that was messed up. Guess what other church is messed up? Our church is. Every church is messed up. But let me tell you, I would rather be the pastor of First Baptist Conroe than the pastor of First Baptist Corinth, or First Presbyterian Corinth, or Assembly of God, or you know, non-denominational Corinth, whatever. This church was messed up, people. It was, it was having a hard time. Paul deals with some major issues in the church. And when he gets to chapter 15, he has to address yet another, because apparently there were people in the church in Corinth who were telling others, hey, I know that the Jews believe there's going to be a physical resurrection because that's what the Pharisees taught. But no, 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 not us. We're going to be, we're just going to leave our bodies behind and we're going to be spirits up in heaven and, and, and that's all there is to it. And the reason they believed that was they believed in Platonism. They had been influenced by the philosophy taught, first taught by the Greek philosopher Plato. Plato believed that the body was just a shell. It's just something we inhabit, sort of like you drive your car and when you're done driving, you get out. When you're done with this body, you leave this body and it's, it's gone. You're, you're done with it. You don't have to deal with physical things anymore because physical things are, are lesser and lower and you'll be a spiritual being and that's so much better. And so these Corinthian Christians, without knowing it, had been influenced by that philosophy, that worldly philosophy, instead of by the Scriptures. And aren't you glad that Christians today are never influenced by anything but the Word of God? They're never influenced by anything that's not scriptural, right? Yeah, I wish. In fact, a lot of Christians are still influenced by that same philosophy. That the body is evil, let's get rid of the body, let's go be spirits floating in the ether. Today we're going to talk about why that's not the best thing. The best thing is the, is the new body. So, let me show you what Paul says. Paul writes verse 15 to correct them. He says in verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can you say there is no resurrection from the dead? So his logic is, you know Jesus rose. And, and he, he taught us he's, that we're going to rise, so the two things follow together. In fact, verse 20 puts it even more definitely. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So what does that term first fruits mean? Because we don't really use that term today. Paul is writing as a Jew. He is calling on his Jewish heritage. He knew, and most of those Corinthian Christians knew, that when God started the nation of Israel, by the way, the only nation in history that God Himself started, pretty, pretty cool, when God started the people of Israel, He gave them this sacrificial system. He said, here's the way you connect with Me. This is an agrarian society. Nothing matters more to you than you know, your very lifeblood is in the ground. It's in the animals you raise. It's in the crops that you raise. So in order to honor Me, in order to worship Me, I want you to take the first of whatever you have. The first calf that your, that your mama cow produces. The first uh, crop that comes in when you harvest. I want you to bring it to My temple and sacrifice it to Me. And this is number one, a way of honoring Me with what I've given you. But number two, it's a way of you exercising faith because when you give that first calf, you're saying, I trust you, God, that this mama cow is going to produce more calves after this. And I'm not going to starve because I gave away my first. And when I give you that first bushel of grain, I know there's going to be more where that came from because you're a faithful God. 
And so when Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, number one, don't get hung up on falling asleep. We talked about it last week. We go immediately to be with Jesus when we die. What he means when he says that, first fruits, that Jesus is the first of many to rise from the dead. That Easter Sunday, that's going to be reenacted millionfold when the time comes for us to rise. Our, our souls are with Christ when we die, but we're awaiting a physical resurrection. So when is this going to happen? Verse 23, but each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him, then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father after He has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now, I don't mean to pick a fight, but a lot of Christians believe in a rapture. We're going to talk later about the end times in this series and what the Bible says about that. And that is one theory of the end times, that there's going to be a, a, a rapture of the living and the dead. Let me just say, the hope of the people of God in the time of Scripture, whether you believe in a rapture or not, and there's debate there, the hope of the people of God was not, hey, let's all get raptured. The hope of the people of God was, let's resurrect. Let's be resurrected. Remember, Paul says, I don't want to be unclothed. I want to be clothed in my heavenly dwelling. I want, I want to live in my new body. And that happens when? When Jesus returns. When Jesus brings this age to an end, that's when we get our new bodies. So, that brings up a question. Because some of you might be sitting there saying, wait a second. So, I'm, in the, I'm, I'm up in heaven with Jesus, but my body is in the ground, and then Christ returns, and my soul goes back into my body, and I rise again. Well, does that mean I'm going to spend eternity as a rotting corpse, as a skeleton, as a pile of dust? No. Good news there. He says in verse 51, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Two Greek words there I want to share with you. That word in a flash is the Greek word atomos, A-T-O-M-O-S, from which we get the English word atom as in atomic. Think about how small an atom is. I guarantee you none of us has ever seen an atom. It's tiny. So Paul's talking about a very small, infinitesimally small moment in time. When he says the twinkling of an eye, that's an English way of describing or, or translating a Greek word pronounced ripe, R-I-P-E, which means something so fast you can't even see it, like the flutter of a hummingbird's wings. And so what Paul is saying is, it's going to happen so fast. One moment you're going to be with Jesus in heaven or alive on this earth. When Christ returns, suddenly you're going to be in your new body and you won't even know when it happened. You'll just be, whoa, I'm there. I'm, I'm made new. So that brings up the question, what are those bodies going to be like? What will our new bodies be like? Paul hits on that question as well because he knows how we think. Verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. Wait a second. Did Paul just call us foolish? Yes, he did. Because I think Paul's point is, why don't you just trust God with that? But he knows we need to know a little more. So here's what he says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined, and to each kind of seed He gives its own body. So this metaphor of the body being a seed, 
is very important to Paul. He uses it several times in his writings. And here's what I think he's trying to get at. Number one, any of you who've ever uh, gardened or, or lived on a farm, you know you put a seed in the ground, you walk away, you leave it alone, and then something else comes from it. So you plant a watermelon seed, a watermelon comes, you plant an apple seed, apple tree pops out, you plant peas, you plant corn, you plant potatoes. Here's the thing. Everything that that potato is, is contained in that little seed, right? I mean, there's not, somebody doesn't sneak in there and, and shove a bunch of other material into the ground. No, it's all contained in that tiny seed. Part of the point of Paul, part of, part of the point Paul is making here is that when we die, our bodies go into the ground and it's going to be the same body. God's going to use the same raw material. We don't become somebody else, okay? That's part of what he's saying. The other part of what he's saying is, in the same way, if you didn't know what a watermelon looked like and you planted a watermelon seed and out came this watermelon plant with these beautiful green striped uh, footballs full of deliciousness, right? You would say, that doesn't look anything like the seed. I had no idea what this was going to be. I think Paul's point is, we have no idea how glorious our new bodies are going to be. It's going to blow our minds. It is going to be so much better than what we have now. He goes on, verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. Listen to these adjectives. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There are some very important adjectives here. And if right now you're saying, hey, I didn't know this was going to be English class. That's okay. I'm going to identify the adjectives in just a moment and tell you what they mean. They describe the bodies we're going to have someday. And then he gives us one more tidbit I want us to focus on for just a moment. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So the earthly man, I'll just tell you because Paul uses this a lot, this idea a lot. The earthly man he's describing is Adam. A-D-A-M. The original man who came to earth, who sinned, and then death entered the world. He died. We bear His likeness. We're just like Him. We have sinful, perishable, frail bodies. But someday we'll have a body like the heavenly man. Who is the heavenly man? Somebody shout it out. Very good. You're in church. You know the answer. Absolutely. We're going to have bodies like the body of Jesus when He rose from the dead. That is a very significant clue for us. Paul doesn't say that just once. He says it also in Philippians 3.21 that Jesus is going to give us bodies like His resurrection body. So based on all of that, what do we know about the bodies we will someday have? I want to give you three adjectives to focus on. One is imperishable. Our bodies will be imperishable. You know, when you buy something from the grocery store, it has an expiration date, right? You know, don't you, that your milk doesn't immediately go bad when it hits that expiration date, right? So what do you do, ladies, when it reaches the expiration date, you make your husband taste it, correct? Or is it just me? Is it just our home? The point is, these things don't last forever. Even, even so-called imperishable foods, even non-perishable foods still perish, right? There's no food that lasts forever. But our bodies will be imperishable. Our bodies will be impervious. Our bodies will be indestructible. 
Some of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata. This woman grew up in the home uh, raised by an Olympic athlete. She was very active, very athletic. And then as a teenager, she injured her spine and was paralyzed for the rest of her life from the neck down. Became a Christian speaker, author, singer, very, very influential, inspirational person. Uh, Many of you know that name. She wrote a book several years ago titled Heaven, Your Real Home. And I want you to read with me this paragraph that she writes in there. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives to someone spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who has cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do we find such incredible hope. Think about that, the hope that gives us. And and you and I can think of people that this reminds us of as well. I think of my grandpa Williams. I, I've told you a little bit about him before. He's my, my mom's dad. And uh, he was a dairy farmer. Never really lived, aside from the year he was in the Navy. Never lived anywhere but our little country village. Um, raised dairy cattle. Uh, then sold his dairy cattle and just settled down into the life of a, of a farmer and rancher. I say settled down. It was still hard work. I remember working alongside grandpa as a little boy, doing enough work alongside grandpa to realize I needed to get an education because I was not cut out for farming. Grandpa was also a, a deacon in our church. He was the perpetual chairman of the deacons, not because he wanted to be, but because that's what everybody wanted him to be. Um, he, For many, many, many years, he taught the young people in our church. In other words, he was sort of the lay youth pastor. Uh, he used to, the, the Dr. Pepper man would literally stop at grandpa's house because he would buy so many cases of Dr. Pepper to give away to kids, to entice them to come to church. And he'd throw these big volleyball games. Grandpa was five foot three. He was not a volleyball player, but he did what he could to bring kids. I mean, there's a whole generation of people my parents' age who would say, yeah, I remember when your grandpa used to get us together and we'd do Bible study and we'd play volleyball. In his later years, he became the teacher of the men's Sunday school class at my church. That's how small the church was. There was one men's Sunday school class and he taught it every Sunday. Grandpa knew more of the Bible than anybody I knew, including our pastor. And then in the last 10 or so years of his life, he didn't know anything. He didn't know who he was, where he lived. He didn't know who we were. And that was devastating. And that's a disease. That disease of Alzheimer's has just spread throughout that side of my family. And it just, it's a heartbreaking thing. And some of you know, some of you have experienced that with loved ones of yours. But think about this. When I see my grandpa again face to face, when I see him in his resurrected body, his mind will be diamond sharp. He won't just know me. He won't just know the stuff he knew before. He'll know things he never knew before and he'll have a brain that is continuing, continuing to learn more and more and more about God. I think about Carrie's dad, my father-in-law. I think about a man who (laughs) was just this gifted natural athlete who played semi-pro baseball and even in his 50s used to have basketball games and you know invite all the guys from the church guys half his age would come out every Sunday and play basketball he had folks he had a three-point line drawn on his driveway this was my father-in-law a godly man a man of the word of God and and then hold the then 
Parkinson's disease came upon him and he fought that and fought that and it just, it eventually took him down. And I hate that. I hate, I hate that there's some disease that could take down someone so strong. And yet, I know that he has victory over that in Jesus Christ. And he'll be whole and complete. And I look forward to that. And I, I, I'm pretty sure in the new earth, he'll still be able to swat my shot anytime I shoot it. I mean, he'll still be able to take me down and that's going to be frustrating, but it's going to be so good to see him again. And you can probably think of someone who you're looking forward to seeing again and seeing them whole. Maybe someone who's passed or someone who's struggling now, but our bodies will be imperishable. There's a little boy riding past a cemetery with his dad and he looked out and he saw a freshly dug grave and he said, hey dad, look, somebody got out. And he's right. That's, that's why we can talk about these things. Johnny Erickson is right. Only in the gospel of Christ do we find this hope. If we believed in Eastern religion, I would think, well, you know, someday me and my father-in-law and my grandpa will, will all be spirits that are absorbed into the greater consciousness. I don't find hope in that. If I believe the traditional idea of heaven, well, you know, someday we're going to lounge on clouds and strum harps. I can tell you, my grandpa and my father-in-law would find that boring and so would I. I have hope in something better. And so do you. They're imperishable. They're also powerful. Our bodies are powerful. You notice if you read the resurrection accounts of Jesus... Jesus was alive on earth for 40 days before He ascended into the, into the sky to be with God. He exhibited powers that He didn't exhibit before. I don't know if He'd been able to do these things before, but I doubt it. Because for instance, the disciples are in a locked room on Resurrection Sunday and Jesus suddenly appears in the room with them. He'd never done that before. And then while they're talking, He disappears again. And He does that again and again in His resurrected form. He has the ability to ascend into heaven to be with God. Now, does that mean, since we'll have a resurrection body like His, does that mean we'll be able to teleport wherever we want? It's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? I want to go to Rome. Boom, I'm there. I don't know. We're not guaranteed that. Are we going to be able to fly into the sky like Jesus did? I don't know. But I do know this. Right now, my body frustrates the heck out of me. There's lots of stuff I think I should be able to do that I can't. And you're probably the same way. By the way, those of you that are older than me aren't really helping because you keep telling me it's not going to get any better. It's just going to get worse. I wish you'd stop telling me that. But someday it is going to get better. You know how right now we say the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak? That's actually scriptural. Someday it's not going to be true. Someday, someday the spirit will be willing and the flesh will be powerful. And whatever God wants us to do, we'll be able to do. Will we have perfect bodies? See, this is what some of you really want to know. Am I going to look like I want to look now? You know, I, I don't want to disappoint you because I don't know for sure. But if our bodies are like Jesus' resurrection body, we'll still look pretty much the same because Jesus was still Jesus. His disciples were in a boat. They saw Him on the shore. They said, hey, that's the Lord. Remember? I think we'll still look the same, but here's the thing. We're not going to be so hung up on the vanity and the insecurity and the ridiculousness that we have physically now about our own bodies and about other people's bodies. 
We won't be caught up in lust. We won't be caught up in comparing ourselves to one another. I think, now, will we be able to, if we want to, get in shape? Absolutely. I, I don't see a reason why not. If, if you want to learn how to dunk a basketball, then train and, and, and learn to do it. If you want to learn how to climb Mount Everest, I think you'll be able to do that kind of thing. Developing your physical body will probably be an option for you. But I don't think anybody's going to say, well, I wish I was taller. I, I wish I was thinner. I wish I, I wish I had different color hair or, or, or hair that was more curly or, or more straight. We're going to be tall. We're going to be short. We're going to be, we're going to be thin. We're going to be full figured. We're going to be black. We're going to be white. We're going to be brown. We're going to be yellow. We're going to be straight haired, curly haired. We're going to have any belly buttons and outy belly buttons. And we're all going to be beautiful in the sight of God and one another. And we're never ever again going to be ashamed of how we look. Because it won't be about that anymore. There'll be powerful bodies. And finally, there'll be spiritual bodies. Don't, don't mishear that. Don't think, oh, well, that means we'll be like ghosts, right? No, we'll be physical flesh and blood bodies, but we'll be spiritual, whereas our bodies now are more earth-based, more natural. What does that mean? Verse 50, Paul says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood, that's us, that's us. We can't go into the presence of God. If you read the Bible straight through, by the way, we're going to challenge you to do that in 2018, 2019, by the way. 2019, we're all going to read the Scriptures straight through. When you do that, what are the things you're going to notice? Is that every human being who ever saw some physical manifestation of God, what did they instantly do? They fell on their faces. They trembled with fear. They said, oh no, I'm dead. Whoever it was, whether it was Abraham or Moses or, or Isaiah, whoever it was, they were terrified. Why? Because God is righteous. And the first time you get in the presence of God, you're suddenly aware, I am full of sin. And because of my sin, I must die. And every time in the Scriptures that happens, God makes some kind of way to rescue him. He takes Moses and hides him in the cleft of the rock. Or he, he takes Isaiah and, and gives him this burning hot coal to cleanse himself with. I mean, there's always a way of mediation. What Paul is saying here is, someday we won't be that way. The physical bodies we have will be redeemed. See, here's something that people don't usually think about. You know, as, as evangelical Christians... If you were raised Baptist or you were raised in some other uh, evangelical denomination, you probably heard all the time, you need to get saved. Well, I got saved this day. I'm, and we talk about salvation in terms of that's the day I asked Jesus to be my Savior. That's the day I got baptized. That's the day I made Him Lord of my life. And that's true. I don't want to take that away from you because the day you believed in Jesus and accepted His sacrifice for your sins, you were justified in His sight. It was as if you never sinned. But while your soul is saved, your body is still not redeemed. My body is still not redeemed. And if you have any question about whether I'm truly not fully redeemed, talk to my wife, talk to my son. They'll tell you I am not fully redeemed. I give evidence of that every day, and so do you. But someday we'll have bodies that won't behave that way anymore. And when we stand in the presence of God, we'll no longer be filled with shame and fear We'll be filled with awe, but not shame and fear, because we will have no more sin. And for those who say, well, well, why didn't God just create us that way in the first place? Truth is, He did. 
you read the book of Genesis, it starts with the story of God creating the world. And then he gets down and creates man. Remember, he, he breathes life into that little pile of dust. And when he's done, what does he say? He looks at it and he says, behold, it is very good. God created perfect human beings, but we sinned. We ran away from God. We went our own way and have experienced the horrors as a result of our rebellion. And someday we'll be fully redeemed. And some might say, well, well, does that mean that since we'll have physical bodies again, that we'll just fall again like Adam and Eve did in the garden? No. And here's why. You know how somebody may have said this to you, if you eat out, never look in the kitchen, right? You're walking, you're going to the bathroom, you're walking past the kitchen of the restaurant, you avert your eyes, you don't look in the kitchen. Why? Because you don't want to know what goes on in there. If you knew what went on in there, you'd never eat at that restaurant again, right? When we are redeemed, we will have looked into sin's kitchen. It used to be appealing. It used to look like fun. But we've experienced it. We've experienced the pain it causes. We've seen the damage it does. We've seen the cost to God's only Son. And I guarantee you, when you're walking in the new earth, and every time you see Jesus, and you see those scars on His hands and His feet, and you remember, that's why I'm here, there's not going to be one thing appealing about sin for you or for me. We're going to be fully and completely redeemed. So it is very correct to say, I am saved today, but I'm still being saved. And when Jesus comes back, I'm going to be fully saved from head to toe. Every cell, every membrane, every bit of me is going to belong to Jesus Christ and glorifying to Him. So let me just close with this. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I went to be the pastor of First Baptist Church of Stockdale, Texas. How many people in here have ever heard of Stockdale, Texas? Very few. A few of you, though. Yeah, of course my wife has. She lived there. That was a wonderful time. That was a great little church, a great little town. I learned so much. I've got lots of stories from that time, but here's the one I want to share with you today. Every year at Easter, they had a community sunrise service. So all the churches in town, except one, the one church in town that thought they were the only ones going to heaven, and I can't wait in the new earth to walk up to them and go, hey, how's it going? And them to go, oh no, I'm in the bad place, and me to walk, run away laughing maniacally, because God has a sense of humor, that's not sinful. So anyway, that's a digression. So all the other churches would gather we do a, a sunrise service, and then the Methodist church ladies would always, every year, would cook breakfast, so we'd go straight from there to the breakfast, and then we'd all disperse and go to our individual churches and have our individual Easter services. Here's the thing. The, the sunrise service every year was in the cemetery, the town cemetery right there in the middle of town, and my first year there, I thought, this is really odd. Why are we doing this here? There's definitely prettier places around, and then it hit me. You know, first of all, the first Easter took place near a tomb, right? I mean, in a tomb. Jesus broke, broke the seal. He came out. So that's appropriate, but then it really hit me. The Bible talks about resurrection over and over again. That's our hope. Resurrection from the dead. And as I, I, every year when I was there, I would show up, and, and, and before people were there and we started the service, I'd, I'd take a few minutes to walk around and look at the headstones. And you know, It's a small town, so most of the names were familiar to me, even if I hadn't known those particular people. Some of them I did know. Some of them I, I prayed over their, uh, their, their bodies as they lay dying. I, I stood by their casket as they were buried. And so I would walk around looking at those names and I'd think, 
those graves aren't going to stay closed. See, when we gathered on Easter Sunday, this was us saying to the world, and especially to death, death, you have no victory. Death, you have no sting. Our God has beaten you once and for all. Our Savior has taken you down. So these graves, this place of sorrow is going to be a place of unspeakable joy as all these graves burst open and new bodies emerge. Glorious, imperishable, spiritual, powerful beyond measure. And that is the day we look for. And that is the day we can't wait to see. And oh, there's a big, big part of me that hopes it'll be today. How about you?